Hello again and welcome to the second part of our 2020 year in review episode. Hopefully you listened to the first part already and you're ready to embark on the last part of this what would have been otherwise a very long episode. A quick overview, the premise of this episode is built around the fact that I wanted to produce a compilation out of all the amazing episodes recorded in 2020 because there's been some really good ones. With the risk of repeating myself, if you haven't gotten the chance to listen to them all, I highly encourage that you go back and listen when you have some time. In the first part of the 2020 Year in Review podcast episode, we covered the importance of resilience during challenging times and how a growth mindset can help you learn from the past, change, adapt, and exist in a constant state of becoming. The soundbite compilation that I produced in the first episode touched on some of the concerns that were lurking on the horizon at the time each episode was recorded and the steps the event professionals that I got the opportunity to interview have taken to pivot their events to virtual, what type of personal and professional challenges each one of them faced in the very beginning. We also covered things such as audience engagement and interaction, and many tips were provided. We've touched on virtual event platforms, we discussed some of the key elements of a successful virtual event, and also went into hybrid events and what they might possibly look like for the future. And the last topic was what are some of the trends to watch out for. So if you missed that episode, I highly recommend that you go back and you listen before you start on this one. You will hear from Anna Marie of IBL Events, from Lauren Dooley Clark of Race Agent, from Brand Burke of Valiant Productions, Todd Campbell and Brian Lehman of the AV Department, Kenan Hackler of Hackler Productions, Fundraising Ambassador Jonna Wells, Benefit Auctioneer Patrick Siever of G Events, Event Platform Specialist and Strategist Mark Woodward, and Event Planner and Producer Beth Sandefier. As I mentioned in the first part of this compilation, I must make a small disclaimer before we get into it and ask that you are mindful of the fact that these clips have all been recorded at different times, under different conditions, with different microphones, and as much as I try to normalize them for the audio to be evenly EQ'd and compressed across the board, you will have to give me some grace on that. This project has been quite a labor of love that I, and I'm being quite honest here, I give up and started again several times over the the last two months, so the fact that it came into being, it's a small win that I'm a little bit proud of. Now, do you have a preference as far as the type of platform that you like to work with or you had the most experience or best experience with? Um, there's definitely some that are better than others. I know that I've heard you talk about Vimeo. We like Vimeo mm-hmm. as well. They've definitely made it very easy to interface and it's very responsive. We haven't had a whole lot of lag or stall out with that one. Mm-hmm. But we also do Facebook, YouTube, Zoom, a bunch of different ones. A lot of companies have their own custom mm-hmm. sites that we, we log into. I do really appreciate that Zoom is more real-time when we're having to deal with audience interaction. Facebook, even at best, is, I believe, around nine seconds of delay. Sometimes that's pretty frustrating for a presenter to say, hey, how is everyone doing? Post in the comments and then have to wait 10 seconds yeah. to get that feedback. But I think they're all pretty good. Well, I find that it's not so much about the software and things like that. I mean, that's all important. I think it's about who the viewers, what they're using. So, Mm -hmm. you know, using the social media platforms like YouTube Live or Vimeo, that's usually better just because the viewer is more comfortable. So you're going to actually going to have less problem from the actual watching part. Mm -hmm. 
in terms of what we like to interface with in the studio, you know, we're using our own platform and then we can just send it out to wherever the client wants. Right. So we're choosing our own world in which to live in, our own bubble, mm-hmm. sending it out. So we're okay with any number of options of sending it out. I mean, obviously YouTube has been around the longest, so they've had the most opportunity to solve their own problems. Yeah created a very, very stable place for us to go and everyone else. Right. And it only does one thing and that is video. So it's better than having to reinvent the wheel, right? So it's just making sure the audience is comfortable with how they're viewing it. And, you know, we have our own backend, so we're doing our own thing. Right. I'm sure there'll be products in the future that will combine the two. Again, we're, we're living in a new normal. Right. There's no doubt that someone's going to figure this out. But to me, it's all about the quality and getting the message out. Because it's not just about if you're an auction about raising money or something. It's about how you're branding and how you're interacting with your audience, who is not just your supporters now, but your supporters in the future. Well, it's also fundraising. I mean, if the funds stop, the work stops. And right. we, we have to find a way to keep the work going that these nonprofits are doing. It's needed more than ever. Yes, indeed. When you actually turn platforms, I actually want to bring that conversation, not just to the place the end user is going to be, but the process and how it gets there. It does matter where your audience is, but it also super matters what your audience sees and what your audience hears. Just because it's available doesn't mean they're going to stay. Do you look for in a virtual conference platform? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because there's so many out there. Well, I think the first thing is to distinguish between a virtual conference platform and the webinar. A virtual conference is designed for multiple people and one-way communication, where a webinar or Zoom meeting is going to be more of an interactive platform. A virtual conference is that opportunity for sponsors. It's an opportunity for networking. It's an opportunity for speaker engagement, vendor booths. And what I'm finding is that it's important to understand that we're living in a a technology world that is based in software. So whichever platform you decide to choose, there's going to be a learning curve. And it's not just a learning curve for you. It's the learning curve for your stakeholders. It's a learning curve for your guests. And that needs to be taken into consideration where they're at in that learning curve. So that leads to the time. How much time do the event organizers have to invest to learn all the features and the hurdles of an app. I feel it's important because if you take the time to invest in the app in terms of learning it or researching it or making sure it's the good fit for your event, you can really maximize the bells and whistles and also learn the gaps such as incompatible browsers and devices. Another observation I've seen is is that some clients, because they're so new, they expect the software to do it all. And that's Mm -hmm. not the case. This software is not a turnkey solution for an entire virtual event. One thing I look for is how intuitive the dashboard is. Uh, Does the company have timely support? Where does the company draw the line between software as service and leave me to do the rest? As you look underneath the hood of all the software, they pretty much all have a similar engine. They each have networking features, a video player, speaker stays, sessions, vendor booths, data capture, which is a big deal, sponsorship branding as well. So the distinction I look for is learning curve. How quickly can I get in the car and drive? 
This is not about me, but assessing how technically savvy my client's audience is, how much time and resources the client has to create a step-by-step -step instructions for their audience, for their guests, for their speakers, for their sponsors. So I imagine myself as the first time user in any one of those perspectives and then prioritize the features accordingly. Unfortunately, some of these apps are like climbing into the cockpit of an airplane. You, you literally wonder which toggle to flip and what will it do? Some people have the time to have that training and so it becomes easier to navigate. But does my client have that kind of bandwidth? Do their attendees, do their speakers? It's not likely that they do. So my first benchmark for any virtual commerce platform is how easy it is and how intuitive it is. And so if we step back to the strategic thinking, if we understand what the goal is, then we can find the best technology to deliver the message at a cost-effective approach. What is your best advice that you could give to a prospect organization when it comes to preparing for a virtual fundraiser? Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Anka, because I have a similar sentiment in terms of conversations that I have had with clients. And even from my own perspective, initially, I knew that it was going to require more time, effort, and energy to produce, but I don't think I really had an acute gauge of what it mm -hmm. was going to take until we got through the first month of virtual fundraising um, after that first event on March 14th. I personally, yeah. I was finding, Anka, that I was putting in an additional 40 to 60 hours <laughs> of production work for these events, what it would take. And so I would certainly say to any organization that is currently planning a virtual event to check in with your preferred providers that you're part yeah. of, your vendors that you're working with, your fundraising ambassador, and really take a keen look at what those production elements look like and see what their scope of services consists of so that you can ensure that if you can't facilitate those requirements in-house, that is part of the package construct that they're offering. Because yeah. without it, it's virtually, quote, impossible to have a virtual. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, it makes perfect sense. Being able to have more of a, an understanding that this event, you know, again, it can't be what had been the live event being brought online. We need to look at it more as a broadcast and what do those broadcast pieces look like and how can we fluidly move from one transitional point to the next? And if we have additional video, which is ideal, I mean, you know, we're visual creatures. So finding ways that we can integrate more of those opportunities to have variable visual elements woven into to the production. I will say, though, going back to uh, pre-recorded pieces and some of those elements of control, and I'm sure you've experienced this to a degree, there's certainly yeah. been, because there's been such a surge of virtual events, available bandwidth sometimes is limited. And so we're finding, yeah. you know, in some instances that it's more optimal to have some of those pieces pre-recorded so we do have a little bit more control over it and we're not, you know, crossing our fingers. And again, and you had touched on this earlier, and I think it's really important to reiterate that, you know, the production elements that work for one organization organization might not necessarily be the production that, you know, is optimal for another group. And Absolutely. to really, you know, for each organization to, to take the opportunity to figure out the thumbprint of their audience, you know, mm -hmm. and to figure out what it is that inspires their donor base to go the distance to support and champion for their services. And how can you bring those elements of donor engagement into your virtual event? I think being prepared on one of your previous podcasts, you talked about having the tech walkthrough, which was different than a rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And I was, as I was listening to that, I, I openly applauded. <laughs> and I said, thank you for saying that. A lot of people, I think, treat the tech rehearsal as a dress rehearsal. 
Yeah. And there's a lot of things that there's options that we have that may not have come up. Like, how do you want to do pips and overlays? And, yeah. And all of these things that we may have missed in early discussions that would be discussed during a tech walkthrough. Yes. Where we can work. What, what exactly do you want it to look like? What do exactly. you want the backdrop to look like? We have an LED wall backdrop. Sometimes we have projection backdrop depending on the level of event. But we need to know what it looks like. What kind of furniture do you want on stage? And all that stuff we've hopefully worked out over email and the phone in advance. But sometimes we get to the tech walkthrough and they want to change. And if they're treating the tech walkthrough as the dress rehearsal, then I think that everyone gets a little antsy. So that being said, things like the production schedule or show flow or whatever you choose to call it, those become so key for us, knowing when to bring in slides, when not to have slides in, even detailing it like, I want this overlay at this point. I want to be mm -hmm. this picture in picture look at this point. I want to have this music track at this point. Like we have all of those things for live events, but doing them for the virtual event need to be so much more detailed. Completely agree. On top of that, you have this sense that right now, these fundraisers, I mean, they're pretty vital to these organizations. And so it's not the place to skimp on the professionalism, right? Like, mm -hmm. why wouldn't you hire and work with and really just partner with a group that's professional? They're giving you a product that's so vital to get out there to their client because they have to raise that money. And not only that, they're setting up their next fundraiser too, showing that their organization is still relevant and vital, even in these times. So that to me, that's the primary reason why you would want to work with a professional company mm -hmm. rather than just try to do it yourself. Although there are certain scenarios where that would work just fine. Sure. Yeah. It's reality, you know, and everyone has a different donor base and, and that sort of thing. Also, it's our job to take the technology out of people's hands so they can focus on their message and on their broadcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it really translates well, too, because when you go and have a gala, you're going into a ballroom, you have a professional catering staff that's handling all of that. You have AV people are handling all of that. And now you're just focusing on your run of show and, and your program. And that's exactly what we're doing for them when it goes virtual. We're just taking the technical side away and they just do what they do, which is promote their, their nonprofit or their company or whatever. I mean, it's almost like a subconscious thing is, is that our brains are wired for that additional level of production that we associate with authenticity and credibility. Whereas if you see, again, you see the lower quality production, it's like, hey, somebody else did this a lot better just yesterday at their virtual conference. Why am I having technical difficulties with you guys? Exactly. Right now, I think there's a lot of forgiveness, but in time, eventually that standard, that benchmark will raise to a degree. And when you raise the benchmark, that's going to include more specialists to close the gaps to make sure you deliver the best conference that you can. And that comes with a cost. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we did it. And that's why we want people to come is because we've seen auctions here that towards they've come to us and they said, hey, we raised way more money than we did in years past. And we had way more engagement than we've had in years past. Ultimately, we want to get back to doing live events because that's where we specialize. That's where we thrive. But in this environment of doing these virtual events or and then soon we're going to be having all these hybrid events. People want the event. They don't want to just have somebody halfing it in their living room. They want to actually know that they're having an event. And with viewing parties and things, like they can still get dressed home and feel like they're actually part of the event. They can unplug from whatever else they're dealing with at home at the moment, and they can just zero in on the event, and they can focus on why they're at the event, what they're raising money for, or what they're tuning in for, what benefit it has. 
it comes back to, I think we can adopt, and this is where I think the value of a professional auctioneer to a nonprofit is ridiculously more valuable than it has ever been. Because in the past, you had an auctioneer, maybe not even a benefit auctioneer, but just a general auctioneer that came and did your event, and it was almost like an add-on. It was like, you know, picking napkins. It was like picking the menus. It was just a component of the event. The reality is now that your benefit auctioneer has become your, quite honestly, your most important reference. Next to that is the technology. But a lot of times that auctioneer is going to bring the technology with them. No different than when I get a call and they ask me how we do this, I say, well, first we call Anka and we're going to use TreeFan Events because we need the stability and I need the confidence in knowing that the technology that's going to get our message to the audience needs to be rock solid. And then the second component is going to be is that once we know that they, we have that in place, then we've got to focus on our agenda. And the agenda is not just that 45 minutes to an hour of the program. The agenda is that entire week and leading up to that week of how we're going to drive an audience. So it's incredible. But I think that what we have to do as benefit auctioneers is we have to open our eyes and learn from our brethren that are on the other side of the business. We have to adopt some of those mindsets and incorporate them into the nonprofit world. As crazy it may sound, you know, uh, no different than the night I got that call March 9th and told me we were going to live stream the event and we weren't going <laughs> to we weren't going to meet in the Multnomah Club. I went, well, now what? Uh, how does that work? And to think where we've come eight months from that phone call. And the way I felt eight months ago to the way I feel today about this environment, night and day, and we and the proof's in the pudding. We're having success. In a nutshell, you're essentially producing, you're a television producer, broadcasting live content that relies on bandwidth, browser compatibility, and the technical aptitude of your speakers and attendees. In my opinion, each component needs the white glove treatment. Since you don't know how much support each will need, I recommend assigning one person to each link in the chain. This way, when someone needs help, whether it's a speaker or a guest, there's someone there, a specialist, to help close the gap and help them. So not only will they feel supported, but you're going to deliver that end user experience that gives them that positive vibe, like, hey, these people are on top of this. They know what they're doing. For a smaller conference, they may not have the budget or resources. People can and do wear many hats. But there's going to be an expectation, just like if you pay $500 for a concert, there's a higher level that you're going to have a great experience versus spending 10 bucks to go into the club. So understanding we're picking those specialists to help fill those positions and close the gaps are going to deliver a great end user experience. So for me, every single job is important because every single job ties into that link. I think really good scripting for the event. I mean, I think having a good concept, right? Like, you know, having a vision of what the event is going to be, how everything's going to come together. I think that there is still a lot of opportunity to theme out an event. I have an event that's actually coming up tonight for an arts company that they are going to be debuting a graphic novel opera. So it's like opera set to comic book style types of illustrations where they actually did motion capture with the artists and then created illustrations out of their faces. And we've taken that whole comic book theme and built the entire event around it. So when we go from our intro loop of opening slides into the main program, we're going to stop and do a logo reveal that's like a Marvel comic style illustrations from the graphic novel opera behind their logo and it flashes on screen and then like we're carrying that whole comic book feel throughout the event so it's still going to feel 
different and unique to who they are and speaks to what they're doing because it's going to tie directly to the work that they're going to see later in the events. And like, I'm really excited about that, that they've embraced this medium of saying, you know, yes, we're an arts organization or they're an opera company. And generally we would be producing things on stage, but that's not where we are right now. So how can we take our art form and make it into something that is more suitable for TV, for screen and being able to build their whole fundraising event around that theme is something that's been really exciting to work on. I'm very anxious to see it all unfold tonight in real time. But I just love that, again, that they've just really embraced, like they haven't lost sight of who they are. And I think that there's sometimes, I don't know, people kind of default to like, oh, well, we can't do fun things because we're not in person. And so we're just going to have somebody on screen talk a little bit about the organization and maybe we'll do an auction and like, and we'll just try to get it done in 45 minutes and like, we'll be out. And it ends up just a bunch of talking heads, which it's important if you're a nonprofit organization to get your message out there. Like that's the most important thing, getting your message out, but you can still do it in fun ways like you can find the ways to make it be fun and still be authentic to who you are and like speak to your cause we started thinking about like how are the ways that we've in what we do and who we are into the theme and the decor for the evening and I think that kind of methodology still applies in virtual I love a good theme I'm super stoked about this comic book thing that I'm doing with the opera company tonight but it's not a theme for the sake of having a theme. It ties back to what exactly. they're doing. I think that's important to think about. Like, yes, be creative, have fun, do all that, but always think about how are you telling your story through that. Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifan Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual, and hybrid events. The team at Trifan Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement, and co-creation while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. To find out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable, go to trifunevents.com. As an event strategist, my number one is always think strategically. Begin by asking yourself and your stakeholders the really tough questions. How do we stay relevant and engaging in this new environment? What is the goal of going virtual? What are the benchmarks for success? Do we have the time and budget to be television producers or hire virtual event experts? What resources are available? What hurdles do we face? How do we approach them strategically? So these kind of questions are not event specific, but answering them in advance aligns everyone on your team with the direction and confidence to deliver the next tactical steps. And that is huge. Another takeaway I would offer is that once you pick a platform, stick with it for a while. The challenge is, is that you might hit a small technical error or they may not give you the support on the front end, but learn from it. So you take, for example, how many meeting apps in the last six months have every single one of us used? Google Hangouts, MS Teams, Zoom, Skype, Facebook Live. And you start to think about all these different platforms which we all have to learn to navigate. Do you want to ask your guests and attendees to have to do that every time you skip from one platform to another? 
Once you find one, stick with it, give it a while, work with them, and see how it goes. The next takeaway is to really focus on the audience experience. I know there's a ton of ideas on how to keep your audience engaged, but for me, it's about mentally walking through every step of your event through their eyes. Remove any potential wrinkles and empower them by providing step-by-step -step instructions before the event and keep them engaged during the conference. The last takeaway is test everything days in advance. You may have heard the term table read in the television industry. Do this for your clients. Do a table read with the script over Zoom or any meeting platform with your team and do at least one technical dry run. Test all of your platforms like again the day before the event. And if possible, have a pre-event social where attendees can register early and explore app features. That'll give you the confidence that everything is gonna go well. And I would add to that, have a backup plan, right? Yes, absolutely. The other component to the backup plan is letting your audience know what's going on. That's important because if they're just sitting at home and they don't know that you're experiencing technical difficulties and you don't have a slide to pop up or a go-to video or even a mass text to all the attendees to say, hey, we just hit a little bit of glitch. We'll be back in five minutes. That is huge from an end user experience. So if you think about that as part of your backup plan, it's not just having the loop and the go-to slide, it's why you're doing it. Again, the strategy is what's the focus and the focus to make sure that the end user has a great experience. And when this is all over, I anticipate that people will be dying to get out of their house and attend our live events. 90% of us don't believe that virtual events will ever take the place of in-person events. However, because of the current conditions and much of the unknown surrounding these conditions, myself along with many other event professionals believe that what we need most right now is technology that will support a hybrid event strategy for the future of our events. You know, looking at hybrid events and what that could look like is really exciting in terms of having a virtual component, but also having people on site taking part in that event. I think that's something that we're really exploring and seeing what the possibilities are. Um, some of it, it's not in our control. It's going to be what the state dictates. Um, at least it's it's been fun to kind of explore. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. When we go to hybrid events and we're going to have some inclusions where we have in-person and that virtual component, we still have to keep the program pretty tight. Mm -hmm. So that's a piece of it. Making, um, you know, online bidding, if it auction is a component of that, is going to already be running before an event happens. And so when people arrive, that's already underway and already happening. And you won't need that like hour and a half virtualization time that people usually have that social hour where they also would bid. So making that shorter. So maybe it's more of like a half hour social, then you get seated for dinner. And then the virtual program begins where people are watching it live in the ballroom, but it's also being, you know, streamed out for folks in their homes or wherever they are. But keeping that program really, really tight. So it's going to, I think we're not going to see the days of like a three to four hour gala anymore. I think we're going to see shorter, more concise events, which is kind of exciting. I think, again, it goes back to having people feel connected with a virtual. You're in a different mindset to connect virtually. When you're live, you have a mindset to connect with the people in the room. And when we go hybrid, the people that are presenting are going to have to find a way to be able to connect with both audiences cohesively which I think will be a really interesting dynamic to watch. 
I'm not personally sure how it really works as of right now. I mean, even before this, we were doing hybrid events. There was always some element of, oh, we want to stream to this Facebook too. But it almost felt like an afterthought. Yeah, when, and it when, wasn't necessarily something that it started from the get-go as this concept of a hybrid event. It was the concept of a live event, the main reason for gathering with a webcasting element. Let's see what happens. Yeah, exactly. And it felt like, well, if they wanted to have the full experience, they would be here. But I think that those days are gone, at least for a while. And I think that we just have to find a way to keep both audiences engaged and both audiences feel like they are unique to the person on stage. And that's our job, the provider, to be able to make sure that we have the technology that makes that easy for them, that they can deliver their message without having technology get in the way. Our job is to make sure that their message is delivered in a clear fashion, audibly and visually. And we're going to have to be able to do that both in the live room as well as those who are watching from home or from work or wherever they may be watching from. I think there'll be a little bit of a learning curve as soon as we start doing those again, but I know that we're all up to the challenge and we want to make sure that those messages that presenters have are delivered in a clear way. Well, I think we're going to obviously need to be flexible in creating these hybrid events because we're going to have executive directors. We're going to have a, a myriad of people who are not going to be comfortable going out into the world. So we need to one, bring the event to them, but also in some cases, we're going to need to have the ability to bring them to the event. Mm -hmm. uh, an executive director from a particular group may choose to give their keynote virtually, but live in the room and on the stream at the same time. We're geared up for that. We're ready to go. And so it's just, that's a reality. We're going to have to see where it goes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wait, see mode on that because there's also just a financial reality. If you're going through all the AV in the room, which has its own cost, and then you're also going through the stream, which has its own cost you know, does that make it unviable for a lot of groups because right. they're essentially paying for now two services simultaneously and they have to now plan for two as well. They don't always have the resources for that to. Right. But I will say that broadcasting a live event is very different than a studio event. And so we're definitely utilizing the content that's already created for stage. Yeah. Being able to do multiple camera shoots and whatnot. But I think there's going to be a lot of creative ways it's going to be done. And I don't think anybody's really figured it out yet. Mm -mm. And once we figure that out, then the new normal will become that. It's just we're just not sure what that is yet. You know, I think prior to this shift in fundraising, I would have maybe had a concept of what the future of fundraising might look like. Mm -hmm. And I think there's beauty in that. But I also think that in the midst of all of these unknowns that we as a global community continue to be faced with, there's also a lot of beauty in the potential that anything is possible. And mm -hmm. so I really do kind of hold to that right now. I think that anything is possible. And I think that there's going to be some groups that might find they become just profound fans of these virtual events, mm -hmm. um, you know, and they move forward with those exclusively. When we can gather together again, there's some groups that I think might find that they would like to explore that notion of the hybrid event where we've got a virtual stream that's taking shape and a live event happening simultaneously. I think there's going to be some groups that find that 
that they want to do more of a donor appreciation event that's separate from fundraising and that the fundraising event takes place perhaps prior to that donor appreciation in the form of exclusively a virtual event. So I think there's, to me, that this feels like a really exciting time to be a professional fundraising auctioneer, fundraising ambassador. I think it's an exciting time to be part of a production team because there's so many opportunities available to be part of audiovisual teams that are streaming these events. This is an exciting time in our history of continuation of philanthropy because really anything is possible. And what are we watching out for? I think we're watching out for probably the best ways to be able to to do this. Like we're just talking about with hybrid events and virtual events, being able to limit that delay time and make sure that people feel connected. I think also we are seeing a lot of people kind of touched on it a little bit ago with uh, why to use an event planner or not use an event planner. We're seeing a lot more people think that they can do it on their own. Yeah, I, I can dial up a Zoom account. I have a Zoom account. I can just make a Zoom event happen. That's something that we're really wary of. And we always say, well, who's your event planner? Not using an event planner is a very big no-no for us. That becomes really scary because it pushes a lot of the unknown on us. And as much as we try to communicate, we're not as efficient as event planners are. Well, I think, I don't know if I'm particularly watching, I'm more waiting. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be some new, especially in the nonprofit world and auctions and galas, there's going to be different platforms that are traditionally are used for like auction stuff. So to be able to house auctions, you know, your thermometer and all this stuff. And there's a few vendors out there that do that. But I just think they're going to be adding this simultaneous video option to it because I think they see streaming as something that's going to be part of the new normal and they're going to want to offer it. And so I'm just waiting to see what that looks like and if they can make the quality decent because I have a feeling we're going to be constrained by it. Yeah. Whatever they do, it's like it's going to affect us quite a bit. There's somebody out there doing it and there's a few platforms that have done it, but it, it looks like a Zoom call, which is, you know, for, in our opinion, not satisfactory. But from a client's perspective, it may be. Like right. We may not have any choice on that. So that's, to me, that's a trend that's going to happen. It's like these platforms are going to have to evolve. Yeah, and I think they're going to have to get more interactive. To reach new participants that would have never attended the event before. And that's something I find to be really exciting right now. You know, there's a bit of a new element of donor equity that's coming into play with these events because they're free to attend, which is exciting. The live events, there's a ticket price, you know, to attend. You've only got so much physical space that you can occupy (laughs) any one given ballroom, right? Yeah. You know, to see what the virtual stream viewing audience numbers are looking like for some of these organizations that might typically have guest count at a live event of maybe 400 people, we're seeing their virtual viewing audience numbers surpassing 1,000 and 1,000 plus. And so that's really cool. You know, I mean, moving forward, regardless of whether we, you know, have to move into hybrid versions of these events in the future, whether some groups opt to continue to utilize exclusive virtual fundraising or whether they, you know, move back to live events when we have the opportunity to do so. Regardless, I think that this will continue to be just a touchstone for organizations across the country to just be mindful of that you've got opportunity to expand donor bandwidth and to expand those virtual viewing communities through this new format, which is, I think, providing and proving to be really effective and really cost effective. Absolutely. Yes. So do you see a clear winner in this virtual event platform space? Yes and no. That's an answer that I look for because I want to know. I want to be ahead of the curve. I want to be able to offer that answer to my clients to say, this is the best slam dunk service for you in this situation. But right now, there's not a clear winner. And my observation is there probably won't be. 
the long-term winners will be the ones with the shortest learning curve and the most intuitive dashboards for the end users. And it will always come back to that end user. So I recommend hand-holding and white glove treatment at every step, no matter which app you choose. But those that have the intuitive platforms are currently finding support from venture capitalists on Wall Street to fuel their rapid growth. It is way too early to tell, but my sense tells me there will probably never be a real clear winner. This is software we're talking about. Uh, you could eventually find yourself in a debate similar between PCs and Mac users, where one says this is better for this purpose, and the other one says, well, this is better for this purpose. But when it comes to virtual conferences, it circles back to the technology supporting the needs of the event first. If you choose the technology first, you will find yourself searching for workarounds to accomplish your goals. Okay, it's going to sound trite, but it's the truth. Communication is the key to any relationship. And this is relevant here too. So after your event, it's not over. That's just the beginning of your relationship with these donors. You want to continue that. You want to show them after the event how much you've raised, where those dollars are going. How is that helping your mission and your cause? Are you feeding the animals? Are you sheltering people? Are you researching for health reasons? Show people that their dollars are being spent in a way that is impactful. The reason they showed up there in the first place is because of your mission. So you want to continue that conversation ongoing, you know, following up with the event as well as throughout the year. Pairing that data with an image is super impactful. Pairing that data with a video. If you send out a video after your event happens that shows how many dollars you raised, how many boxes of food you'll be able to purchase or how you're going to educate the children, how many computers it will be, put a numerical number with that, but put a picture with it. Put up videos of thank yous, put up videos scanning the animal shelter and, and all the food, you know, put something with it that is impactful and showing how that data pairs with the reality of the mission and how that fundraising has helped. Okay, my friends, this is it. You've made it through an hour and a half of really good stuff, information, tips, aha moments, hopefully, that was packed in this 2020 year in review compilation, which I hope you enjoyed and you found helpful. If you did, please do me a favor and share it with your friends, coworkers, and other events professionals that you think might benefit from this episode and from this podcast in general. The purpose of this compilation was to create this overarching story arc with the main narrative of how amazing we are as a people in an industry that went almost extinct this past year and how innovative, creative, and resilient we truly are. And I know there's many of you listening right now that don't feel like you're any of these things. And if that's you, this episode then is for you because I hope it will give you a little bit of a ray of sunshine and the expectation to your day that you need to keep on going. We're not over COVID-19 yet. There is still some dark days ahead, but we're not giving up. We're creators and we're problem solvers and innovators, and we will reinvent ourselves over and over again for as long as it takes. It's funny because I've come full circle this year. I've started on a high, I hit rock bottom, and I clawed my way back up to a place of hopeful anticipation at this point. And through it all, there was always one common theme weaved throughout this year that I 
held on to with all my might, and it was stubborn resilience and unshakable faith. There's more to this that meets the eyes, and I'm so ready for you 2021. And I couldn't end this episode without extending a warm thank you for sticking with me this year, for listening to this podcast. Thank you to all of you amazing guests that join me and enrich my experience with your knowledge and your expertise. I am truly grateful to have gotten to know so many of you on a more personal level, and I have faith that better days are ahead. Regardless of all the struggles and the hardships so many of us face this year, personally and professionally, and some of us fail miserably but we got back up because we're resilient and we can do hard things. So be kind to yourself and let's start 2021 with a newfound hope, forgiveness for everything that we can change and extend love and grace to ourselves and to others. There are so many things we can control, but we can control how we respond to those things and the lessons we learn and the knowledge we take with us after each good or bad experience. Happy holidays to all of your friends, new, old, and as heartbreaking as it is to some of the lost ones too. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm actually a huge fan of this podcast. The stuff that you have to say is always spot on and I appreciate it.